We're going to be in the first eight verses of Acts today. And so in Luke chapter 1, Luke says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And then in Acts chapter 1, Luke says, In the first book, O Theophilus, referring back to his gospel of Luke, he says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, which is really Luke's summary of his entire gospel, right? So I've began, or I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles to whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's pray and ask the Lord for his help. Father, we come to you as your people this morning. And Father, as we begin a journey through this book that you have given to us as your church, Lord, we're reminded that your plans and your purposes to glorify yourself by sending out your people to proclaim the good news of the gospel, to proclaim that, that Jesus Christ has lived and died and resurrected, that he reigns over all things. Lord, our desire is to hear this message clearly from your word and to be so changed and convicted that it moves us to action. And so, Lord, I ask that you renew our minds, that you would encourage our hearts, and that you would mobilize us, that you would give us strength and power as we hear and we receive your word. Lord, we thank you that your plan is moving forward and that your work is continuing. And Lord, we recognize that the gospel is to be advanced through your people as we proclaim this good news of Christ and that the gospel is being proclaimed today, not just in our local church, but also in churches across Long Beach and Los Angeles. And so Lord, we pray for other local bodies of believers within this city. Lord, I think of Light and Life and Parkcrest, Lord Bethany Baptist and Bethany Lutheran and the gathering. Lord, we think of 
churches that have been faithfully proclaiming your gospel, Lord. First friends and city lights. Lord, we think of Emmanuel Reformed in Paramount and City Church of Compton. Think of RCLA in Linwood. Community of Faith Bible Church, Lord. First Evangelical Free and Pico Union, Lord. All of these faithful people who have been living out and proclaiming your gospel, Lord. We thank you for them. And Lord, we continue to ask that the gospel would advance through these local churches and that you would protect them, that you would equip them. Father, would you give their leaders wisdom and faithfulness to equip the saints for the work of the ministry? But Father, we also pray for our brothers and sisters, not just stateside, but globally, recognizing that, Lord, even in this text today, we see your intention for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. And so many of your people are suffering because of persecution for their faith in Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray for your church in North Korea, in Afghanistan, in places like Somalia and Libya, in Pakistan and Sudan and Yemen and India. Lord, your people are trusting you and seeking to live out this good news. And so, Lord, we pray for their endurance we pray for their comfort, for their encouragement, and Lord, we pray for a softening of the hearts of those who are in power, that they would be able to freely worship you even as we do today. Lord, may we not take that for granted. Father, we thank you that no one can sidetrack you from your plan and from your purposes of making your name known. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are with us and that you love us and that you've ne promised to never leave us. And Lord, may you be glorified today, but also this year as we journey through this book. Father, thank you for your presence with us, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. The book of Acts is really Luke's account of God's unfolding plan, an unfolding story, his continuing work through his people by the power of the Spirit. The book of Acts is, is Luke's account of God's unfolding story and his continuing work, especially through the risen Jesus and through his people, and it's all done by the power of the Spirit. When you, we get to the end of the book of Acts, we see that the book is really left kind of open-ended. You see Paul in prison in Rome, and Luke really doesn't kind of conclude the story. Like at the, if you're just reading it, you don't really know what happened just from leading, reading the book of Acts. And it, it somewhat points to the fact that the story continues. And he's there, he's proclaiming the good news of the gospel and that's what we know. He's in prison, but we don't, he doesn't tell us what happens after that. And I think this is the reality that God is continuing his work and so maybe you're sitting there and you're wondering, well, you know, why Acts in particular? Well, the reality is, is that God is continuing his work even today in 2020 in Long Beach. Our desire at Reach Fellowship is to be about this work and this mission of seeing the gospel proclaimed, seeing the good news of Jesus spread, and to see disciples to be strengthened. And so Acts paints a picture of the early church. 
and how God is fulfilling his promises in and through the Son of God, how he has empowered his church, how he's using them to actually fulfill that mission, but also how this mission often results in persecution and suffering. And so let me just kind of remind us of our mission, of our vision here at Reach Fellowship. In terms of our mission, I think this may be on the screen. We may have this. Um, If not, let me remind you, our mission is to serve Los Angeles by being a snapshot of God's final plan of redemption as we work to reduce lostness and produce disciples of Jesus Christ. To serve Los Angeles by being a snapshot of God's final plan of redemption as we work to reduce lostness and produce disciples of Jesus Christ. And our vision is much in line with this. In accomplishing that mission, our hope is to see a church planting movement that floods Los Angeles County with healthy churches living out the gospel in order to tangibly produce transformation and systematic change for God's glory. And so if we want to be about this mission of reducing lostness and producing disciples, if we want to see healthy local expressions of Christ's body throughout Los Angeles, then we need to see ourselves as part of God's continuing story and part of his continuing work and part of this larger movement in the history of God's people. Like we're not the first church and we will not be the last And so Jesus is presently reigning. He's presently ruling over all things. And he sent us as his people to be about his mission. And so the book of Acts really provides practical encouragement, but also really convicting challenges to us as his people. And it paints a picture of what life in the early church looked like. We need a continual not just like once a year, but a continual refilling of the vision for our lives as followers of Jesus, not just individually, but also corporately as a body together, right? It's so easy to believe, I think, that God is actually not at work. Like, yes, we say he's at work, but practically speaking, it's really hard to believe that sometimes. I mean, if you just think back of last year and just all the drama that happened in your life, Maybe if you, if you just think about this year and all the drama that's happened in your life over the past not even three weeks, like it's tempting to think, like, God, where are you and what are you doing? Like, I'm suffering, I'm in pain, wickedness and evil is rampant, brokenness is all around me. Like, where, like, what are you doing? The book of Acts reminds us that God is at work that he's accomplishing his, his purposes through his son by the power of the spirit. And he's doing that in the midst of just ordinary, normal people. The book of Acts also reminds us that there is a greater purpose to live for than just the American dream, the hustle and bustle of life in LA. Like there's something greater than the pursuit of our comfort, the pursuit of our freedom from pain and suffering. We see that being lived out very real and very tangibly by the local early church. But at the same time, the book of Acts also provides a, just a picture of what it looks like for God to renew and strengthen and build up his people. It's, this book has been very instrumental throughout history in bringing about revival, 
in bringing about renewal of the people of God. The Azusa Street Revival that began in 1906 in Los Angeles that was very much stimulated by a sermon that was preached on Acts chapter 2. There was a new commentary that just came out by a couple Asian scholars, and one of the, they say one of the reasons why this book can revitalize a church is due to its emphasis on the Spirit's role in using seemingly insignificant and marginalized individuals. Jason and I just had this conversation, like, this is why the book of Acts is important. It's just normal, ordinary individuals who are empowered by the Spirit. And so they say, in Acts, the weak and the voiceless find God's love and guidance, and they become God's voice in proclaiming his kingdom and playing an instrumental role in bringing about the renewal of God's church. That's our desire, right? To be about seeing this mission accomplished. And so in the history of God's people, if you look at the history of the people of God, we are a very insignificant, unknown group of people. But that's exactly the type of people that God uses to accomplish his purpose. As we discover more of his love, as we discover and experience more of his grace, we then become witnesses and representatives of God's mercy and play instrumental roles in this unfolding story in seeing lostness reduced and disciples produced. And so Luke opens up his book in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So Theophilus, this was a pretty common name. And Luke's dedication to Theophilus here is very much in line with the way you might dedicate a work to an individual. It's a very common thing that happened in the first century in, in this context, right? And so Luke here is, is seeking to inform this individual Theophilus of what he has been taught and bring certainty regarding the gospel that he has learned. And obviously, by extension, it's for those who are reading it, it's to help us do the same thing. And so if Luke's gospel covers all that Jesus began to do and teach, the implication is that the book of Acts is a continuation. This is what Jesus is continuing to do and teach. Sometimes the book of Acts is called Acts of the Apostles. If you have a actual physical Bible, and you look at maybe the beginning of the, this book of Acts, it may say Acts of the Apostles. And in some sense, it's true, like we do kind of chart the story of the Apostles, but more specifically, this book is really the Acts of God through the risen Lord Jesus. God is the central actor in the book of Acts. God is the one who calls his people to follow him to where he calls them. God is the one who sets the agenda because it is his story that is unfolding. And so the same is true for us today as the people of God. What we do, what we say is all to be connected and rooted in Jesus and his continuing work through us today. And so this Jesus who grew up relatively unknown in Nazareth and was crucified by the Romans. Luke says he's also the one who is resurrected and is ascending back to the Father. Verse 2, Luke says, until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he says he presented himself 
alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Luke says, until the day he was taken up. This is a reference to what we call the ascension of Jesus, where Jesus leaves earth and ascends back to the Father, where he currently reigns and rules over all things as Lord. Luke wants us to recognize, though, that, that after the resurrection, after Jesus died and rose again, Jesus presented himself alive. Like, this is not some, like, secret in the corner, but there were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says over 500 witnesses to the resurrection, to the resurrected Lord. And he's writing some 20 to 30 years, and he says many of whom are still alive. In other words, you can go, like, go talk to them. Like they saw Jesus after the resurrection. And so the apostles, they receive this word that Jesus is alive, but they also see the risen Lord himself. And he proved himself to be truly alive after he was truly dead. And so Christianity is not built on like our wild imagination. It's not built on man's speculation, but on historical revelation. Jesus Christ really did live. He really did die. And he really did rise again. And he really does reign and rule today. Ben Witherington, who is a prominent New Testament scholar, he writes that Luke stresses that the resurrected Jesus was no mere spirit, but was tangible, that they could eat and drink with him. You see this in Luke chapter 24. He, he writes, that is, in Luke's view, the resurrection appearances, they were not just merely visions from heaven, but they were happenings on earth. And so as we journey through the book of Acts, we're going to see that the resurrection is central to all of their preaching. Like if Jesus is not risen, then our faith is it's dead, it's futile. Luke believes that there are strong, irrefutable proofs for the fact that Jesus got out of the grave. And I know it's like, well, that was 2,000 years ago, like they were kind of... Uh, not really that educated, but no, like it, it was no easier to believe in the resurrection then than it was now. Like you, you'll see that in the book as we journey through Jesus and his apostles, they debate with individuals, religious leaders over the resurrection. And so Jesus was with his people and this resurrection reality is basically changes everything, doesn't it? And so the question is for us is whether we have actually come to terms with this risen Lord. Like if Jesus is really risen from the dead, then everything in our lives must be different. Everything must be different because this proves who he said he was. He really is Lord. He really is Messiah and King. And so that means that we have to res respond and submit everything to him. And this is exactly what we see the early church doing. So when Jesus was with his people, Luke says he continued to teach. And he specifically tells us the general content of his teaching in verse 3. He says he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. It wasn't just like one time, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. We often have this mindset, I think, that 
like there's this world, this realm, and then there's like the heavenly realm, right? And so often we hear the phrase, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, and we think Jesus is just talking about heaven, something that's not here, something somewhere else that one day we're going to go up in the sky to. So Jesus appeared to them, and he continued to speak to them about heaven and eternity. Like, we hear Jesus say things like, if you're not born again, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And we think if you're, what he means is, like, if you're not born again, you're never going to enter heaven. And the reality is, is, like, things are a little bit more complex than that when we talk about the kingdom. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom was central to the preaching of Jesus. So in Luke's gospel, chapter 4, verse 43, Jesus says this, I must preach the good news, that is the gospel of the kingdom of God, to other towns as well. And he says, for this I was sent, for this purpose. This is why I came, to preach the good news of the kingdom. Some people think like Jesus just came to give good advice, he came to teach us how to pray, he came to teach us how to know God, how to love others, how to establish a new religion. But Jesus came proclaiming and preaching good news. There's all the difference in the world between news and advice. Like this gospel, this good news is the proclamation that something has happened so that the world is a different place. Everything's going to be different now because there is news that is proclaimed because something has actually happened. Jesus doesn't just give us advice. He's proclaiming news. And so when you think of the good news of the kingdom of God, this is very much rooted in the Old Testament scriptures. And it's really a news that a new kingdom is coming and has arrived where God is king. Hence the kingdom of God. This is God's kingdom. In a kingdom, there's a king. God is the one who's king. He has come. This kingdom has arrived. And so all throughout the Old Testament, we see that, that God is he's seen as king. But at the same time, it doesn't look like God is king. Like Israel was often subject to other kingdoms, to other pagan rulers who did not know Yahweh, who did not submit to him as Lord and king. So the hope for Israel, we talked about this during Advent, but the hope for Israel was that one day God was actually going to come, that God was going to establish his kingdom, that he was going to make all things right, and he was going to do this by sending a Messiah. And when God sent this Messiah, Israel would be the top nation, like there's going to be justice and peace established. All the other nations would then begin to pay allegiance to God as king. And so this hope that Israel has, it really explains the next couple of verses here. Notice what, they, what happens. It says, while they were staying with Jesus, or while staying with them, the disciples, Jesus ordered them to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so there's a, there's a connection here between God coming as king, this kingdom of God, and the Holy Spirit. You see, Israel's hope is that God is going to come and take over in a whole new way. And when the Messiah comes, all throughout the Old Testament, the Messiah is coming and the Spirit would be upon him. In fact, we read about this in Isaiah 61. And this is one of the texts that Jesus, when he's in the temple, he actually reads this text. 
in Luke, Luke chapter 4, once again, Jesus comes into the temple. Verse 16 in Luke chapter 4, it says, He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. One, I can't imagine unrolling the scroll of Isaiah because it's 66 chapters, right? And there were no chapters at this point. But Jesus, he finds the place where it is written. This is Isaiah 61, and it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So when Jesus is reading this, who, who is it? He's in the synagogue with Jews reading this. Who is it that is oppressed? Israel is the one that is oppressed by Rome at this point, right? And so Jesus is reading this and he says that he's come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes in the, in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Like, that's crazy. Jesus claims that today, this scripture has been fulfilled. This scripture that was actually about God's servant, God's suffering servant who is going to come and establish God's kingdom and peace. The point is that there, the Messiah is here. This new era that is supposed to be coming, where God would come to rescue his people, that that Messiah is here and the king is here. God is beginning to establish his kingdom, his new creation, and to make things right. And Luke and all the other gospels are about how God is actually becoming king in and through Jesus. That's what the religious miss, that Jesus is that Messiah. And notice what it says, that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The anointed and spirit-filled king has come, and this king, we'll see, is going to pour out his spirit on his people. We see that happening in Acts chapter 2. So this is why Jesus tells his people to wait for the promise of the Father. Yes, John the Baptist, he baptized with water, and he called God's people to renewal and restoration, but in a similar and greater way, Jesus says his people are going to be immersed in the Spirit, this Holy Spirit who is a sign that the new age has come, that this new kingdom is here, because the Spirit-filled King is here. And so this naturally leads to the, the apostles' question in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, Will you at this time then restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So the fact that Jesus is saying, no, the Spirit is coming, the Messiah is here, I've risen from the dead, I've proven who I am, you see me. In fact, it's crazy, the, the, again, the disciples call him Lord. And they, what was supposed to be God coming and establishing his kingdom, they say, Jesus, are you at this time going to be the one to establish the kingdom? That's supposed to be God's role, but they're asking Jesus, are you going to do this? Because they believe that he is. And it looks like this is the time. The Spirit's coming. The King is here. What are we waiting for? Like, we've been doing this for a long time. 
If you have ever traveled with children, we did this quite a bit last year, like you will know that one of the first questions very quickly they're going to ask within like 30 seconds, are we there yet? Like, I, I promise we've got, we've left Louisville from Christina's family and we were 100 yards from the house and Amara's like, are we, like, are we almost there? <laughs> no, we're not. We have a four hour drive. We're not there yet, I promise. We will tell you when we are there. And then 20 minutes later, like, how much longer till we get there? That's sort of what the disciples are doing. Like, it looks like, I mean, we've been on this journey for a long time. It looks like everything is established. It looks like everything is set. Like, are we, is this it? Are we there? Like, I, this looks really familiar. They hadn't been expecting that Jesus was going to be crucified. His crucifixion actually made it look like maybe he's not the Messiah. It definitely made it look like like we're definitely not looking for the like the top jobs in Israel. We're not going to be at the left and right hand. Like that's not happening. Things continued to be as they were. It seemed that Israel maybe wasn't being renewed. The world is just carrying on in its wickedness. The powerful oppressing the poor and the needy like business as usual. And then Jesus rises from the dead. And so it looks like maybe, man, we didn't expect this either. Even though he told us this over and over. So what does that mean? Does that mean like the kingdom dreams are back on track, that this is what it is? It, it sort of meant that and it sort of didn't. Like the disciples here are thinking still in terms of like a nationalistic concern, like a desire for is Israel to be rescued from the nations. But like everything else, the dream of the kingdom had really been transformed and flipped on its head because when Jesus rose from the dead, and so Jesus responds here to their question, but I think many read this text as Jesus saying like, no, this, is, this isn't the time the restoration of the kingdom is coming. But what he does say, it, it, like the kingdom is coming and the kingdom is here, but the time when it's going to be ultimately fulfilled, is, that's not for you to know. That's the Father's purpose and plan. But the answer to their question is, in some sense, yes, the kingdom is being restored by Jesus. But the mind-blowing thing is the way in which that is actually going to happen, right? God's kingdom is coming in and through the work of Jesus, not by taking people out of this world into some heavenly kingdom, but he is going to transform things within, where the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, that's actually how Jesus taught us to pray, isn't it? Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. But Jesus must ascend to the Father and the Spirit must come because he is the one who will equip God's people and empower them to accomplish God's purpose and mission in the world. So notice verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When you think of kingdom, it's hard not to think of kingdom and not think of power. Because a kingdom is one where there is a king who rules with power. And often he shows off his power by dominating others, by dominating other nations. And so Jesus really re radically redefines here, that was a lot of R's, he radically redefines power for his people. 
You see, the rulers of this world, they get what they want by bullying, by lording it over other people. But Jesus says, we're going to do it a different way. Because the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the kingdom comes through the power of self-giving love that is enabled by the Spirit as we boldly proclaim and bear witness to the good news that there is a suffering Savior who reigns and rules. So Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this, this verse really sets the agenda for the rest of the book of Acts. It gives us much of a preview of what is to come. And so he tells us, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Like I said, we see the fulfillment of this in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost. We'll talk about that when we get there. And so the mission that Jesus gives his people is not possible in their own strength. It's not possible apart from the power of the Spirit. And so as a result of the Spirit coming, as a result of the Spirit's presence and power, then they will be witnesses for Jesus. So he says, my witnesses. What does that mean? Well, the word for witnesses here is really, it's the Greek word where we get the word for martyr. And so Jesus is indeed being enthroned as Israel's Messiah. He is truly the king of Israel and of the whole world. And so that is what they're going to bear witness to, that Jesus lived and died and has resurrected and has ascended back to the Father. And now he calls everywhere, all people everywhere to repent and turn from their sin, to turn from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. And to really believe this good news and embrace this new good news that Jesus is king. And yet, as they become martyrs, or rather, as they become uh, witnesses, they really do become martyrs as well, don't they? They begin to boldly proclaim this good news, and as they do, it leads to suffering. It leads to persecution. Because when the gospel is proclaimed, there is a clash of kingdoms. That's very much true for us as well. There is a battle between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And the ruler of this world, Satan, he knows that when the good news of the gospel is proclaimed, when, it, when we are told that Jesus is king, people begin to turn away from the kingdom of darkness and Satan's time is coming to an end. Like the spread and growth of the kingdom, it's not coming through military power. It's not coming through perfectly orchestrated and amazing ministry programs. Like the kingdom of God comes as God sends his people to proclaim the gospel. The kingdom comes when people hear this good news and they begin to follow after King Jesus. The kingdom of darkness is being pushed back and the Satan's um, territory, if you will, is shrinking as the gospel is advanced. Because people are being freed from the kingdom of darkness and they are being transferred into the kingdom of light. We become servants, not only of Jesus, but also of one another. And so as this gospel, as this kingdom is advancing, where is it that the, this good news is to be proclaimed? Where's the location of the witnessing that is going to take place? Well, Jesus tells us in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So in the book of Acts, we're going to see that the gospel begins to spread. And it spreads to those in Jerusalem. And then it 
we see lostness being reduced in Jerusalem and disciples beginning to be produced and multiplied. And then the gospel goes to Judea. And then it goes to Samaria. And then we see it going to the end of the earth. And so what Jesus is doing here is encouraging because he's really giving us a promise and prediction, both short-term and long-term, that the gospel is going to go forward. That he is going to continue his work even though he's ascending to the Father. You see, God's plan was always to include the nations. It's always to include the nations. But has the gospel gone to the end of the earth? You have to ask that question, right? And the, I think the answer is sort of, like, sometimes people read, the, uh, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and it's like, well, the application is like, where is your Jerusalem? Where is your Samaria? And I think one of the problems of, of just reading it that way, and that kind of mentality, is that if we keep thinking of our own city and our own radius of influence as Jerusalem, and then we need to go out there, I think we're going to fail to see this breathtaking fact and reality that our churches are part of the fulfillment of this promise. Like when Jesus spoke this prophecy and gave this promise, Long Beach, Los Angeles, TJ, Seattle, Raleigh, Durham, like Nashville, Kansas City, all of these places were the ends of the earth. And yet in these places, in all of these thousands of places in between, we see that there are churches and bodies of Christians who worship Jesus as king and by the power of the Spirit. And so what does that mean for us? It means that the gospel is going forward, and it has done so. It means that Jesus is risen. It means that Jesus is truly doing what he said he would do in terms of building his church. It means that the Spirit's power and presence is with us. It means that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will come to Christ. That Jesus is going to return. And so the fact that there is a gospel-proclaiming church present here today, it is evidence that God is continuing to fulfill his purposes and his plans and building his church as he promised he would do. That's good news for us. It's an encouragement to us that God has not left us and so as we close, as we begin to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, I want to encourage us with just three kind of summary final truths. First, the Messiah is alive. There are irrefutable proofs for the resurrection of Jesus. And friends, this changes everything because we serve a living and present Savior. So the question is, have you submitted to him? Have you submitted your life to this king? But second, the mission is active. Like God's program and plan is not off track. He hasn't abandoned his mission. There are still people who do not know Jesus, who do not follow him, who do not know him as Lord and king. Like I say this a lot, but like, so often when like I'm stressed or I'm thinking about like, man, there's all this stuff to do and I feel like I'm getting, in some sense, I'm getting sidetracked. It's like, man, my neighbor's still on Jesus. Like the guys that I have built relationships with, they don't, they don't know Jesus. 
they don't embrace him as Lord. They, a lot of them don't even know that that's a reality. Like we had our neighbor, his, their son, who's like, he's like eight. He was in our house a few weeks ago on a Saturday night. It was getting late and he and Amar were playing and so on. And it was like, okay, Jace, like, I think it's probably time for you to go home. Like Amar needs to go to bed. And Christina said something about like, Nate has to preach tomorrow. And he, was, he literally said, like, what is preach? <laughs> Not what is preaching, but what is, like, what is preach? I don't even know what that is. And so she explained it. And as she did, she began to talk about church. And she was like, like have you been to church? Like, have you ever been to church? And he's like, and if you knew him, he's like, yeah, I think I, I went to church one time. He's like, no, I went, I went two times. And then he, of course, mentioned, like, something about, yeah, you go and you give money. <laughs> I'm sure that's, you've heard that from somewhere, right? But like he has no con, he has he doesn't know Jesus. I don't know if I've mentioned this here, but our daughter Amara was over at their house and she was being babysat by the grandmother, and <laughs> the grandmother said that she was the boss because she was like at her house, and <laughs> Amara's like, no, Jesus is the boss. It's like, and then she said, like, well, I don't know Jesus. And it reminded me of the book of Acts where like this the evil spirits are like, Jesus, like Jesus we know, like we don't know who you are, but like, and she's like, we don't, I don't know Jesus. And Mara's telling her like, Jesus is the boss. And just the reality, like they really don't know Jesus. They don't know Jesus as savior and king. And so this mission is still going on. The, there are people who are blind to the reality that there is a king who loves them and has given himself for them. The third, the power is present with us. In ourselves, this mission will not be accomplished. But Jesus didn't leave us as orphans. He, he sent his spirit to empower us to boldly proclaim this good news, to witness to the reality that Jesus is king, and to do that in both with our words, but also with our deeds. At the same time, he's taught us and given us the, the spirit to empower us to love one another and to demonstrate what a gospel community looks like as a snapshot of God's coming kingdom. That is what we're to be about. Jesus is with us by the Spirit. There is a mission that he has sent us to complete, and he has equipped us and given us everything that we need to complete this mission. So the question is, will we trust him? Will we submit our lives fully to him as Lord and King, non-Christian or Christian, like that's a question for all of us today. Will we move forward in faith to see his purposes and his mission fulfilled in and through our lives? So we're going to take a couple moments, minutes here to just simply reflect on these questions to ask the Lord, where am I not submitting to you? Where do I need to Stop holding on to this sin, this thing, this idol, whatever that is, and submit fully to you today. And where do we need to do that as a people? This isn't just like an individual exercise, but also as a people. How can we pray and work together to move forward in seeing lostness reduced and disciples produced? So after, after a couple minutes of just prayer and reflection, Come back up and we will transition our time, continue worshiping through the Lord's Supper. So let's pray, take a couple minutes of reflection.